You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you can join us. Welcome. We're here today with Uktivora, MBA, M Optom, FASCO, and an FAAO member. Uh, Ukti is the first Indian optometrist doing a podcast. She's the founder of Nerdy Optometrist, and she's also the director of clinical affairs for iCare Live. We're going to talk today about telehealth and the opportunities. Uh, it's an area that got a lot of interest at the start of the pandemic when it became kind of the uh, the, the the obvious solution for seeing some patients when a physical distancing was uh, was a, was a, um, a thing and a barrier to to uh, seeing patients in office. But perhaps the uh, interest in it has flagged a little bit. And uh, what do you what do you think, Okti? Is uh, where do we stand with telehealth acceptance now compared to say two years ago? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me as a guest on the podcast. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, talking about uh, telehealth, I've been I would say lucky enough to be in this space even prior COVID. So I've seen the trend. Uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, prior to COVID, I definitely have to say it was considered, uh, it was surrounded by some kind of a stigma where you're not even supposed to say you work in that space. It's considered like, you know, you're working probably something unethical and trying to do something shady. So there were a lot of apprehensions around telehealth itself, though everyone felt it is going to be the future, but uh, nobody expected it to happen in 2020. Uh, and it actually got a lot of lot of attention because of pandemic. Uh, though I would say this was one good thing that came out of it, looking at the bright side of it, that people started thinking and accepting technology. But uh, as we're aware, and as you rightly mentioned, you know, everyone jumped on doing telehealth at the beginning of the pandemic, early 2020. We, we at Icar Live also saw like a huge, huge interest in like doctors and everyone trying to get, uh, uh, trying uh, telehealth as a uh, service. But then, yes, of course, there, it came along with it with its own challenges because people were one, not prepared. They were not aware about the technology and the struggle is still on. So <laughs> though that was like, you know, something which uh, was a necessity at that point with things opening up, people going back to their offices, there has been a little dip in the acceptance, trying to figure out what is the best way to either go hybrid or just, you know, focus on what I'm comfortable and used to. And let's forget about the technology when I have to have to use it. So, yes, there has been, you know, a rise and a kind of a dip in the acceptance of telehealth. But that brings up an interesting thing, because uh, as you as you mentioned, people weren't expecting that 2020 was going to be the year of the surge in, in interest in telehealth mm -hmm. services. So what I think it did show us is, um, you know, obviously we don't need a pandemic to, to need to see patients outside of the the office. Um, mm -hmm. There can be weather applications and, you know, uh, power outages and floods and all kinds of reasons why you perhaps can't come into a um, into a practice for um, right. for a few days or or even just a few hours. Mm -hmm. um, when when you say that there is this um, 
this rise and increase, you know, how, what's your challenge in, in trying to keep people engaged and, and uh, interested in using telehealth in the, in the future? So I feel like what I have learned being, you know, at a position with Iker Live and in the telehealth space is the fact that people initially when pandemic happened, they had no choice. So it was more of desperation where people just jumped into trying it out. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say this, that the patients were very, very, you know, into technology, thanks to all the smartphone companies who have made people's life on, <laughs> you know, with so comfortable with technology so right. uh, from a patient side of uh, things I think they were more accepting and they were very happy with this option because earlier there was not even a discussion of you know you can get your eye exams you know you need not have to drive two hours to get your say just a dry eye evaluation done you know something mm -hmm. that can be done or a follow-up that can be done maybe virtually so from patient side of it we definitely saw a huge acceptance overall but the challenges which the practitioners faced was one, uh, they were not prepared. They were not prepared in terms of how to use the technology. What is the scope of practice that can be done using this technology? Uh, also, the insurance piece, which is a major, major thing, how all the practices work, was not uh, you know, prepared for using telehealth. Like, you know, how do you bill? What do you code? How do you charge the patient? Mm -hmm. That all was a mystery, which was kind of, uh, you know, temporarily solved or fixed just to get through that phase. But it is still a challenge even today. And when we talk about technology, it is still not there. Like the equipments and the level of uh, diagnostics or screening that you can do in office versus what you can do through virtual consultation is at the most to say vision test and an image or a photograph or a video, right? That's That's all we can do. We don't have technology which... Uh, there is technology available, but not easily accessible. It's not affordable where you send some high-tech device that does an additional screening or assessment for the patient. And you can completely say, hey, you know what? You don't need to come in the office. I can do everything virtually. Mm -hmm. So the level of care that an optometrist or ophthalmologist want to provide with the tools that they have in the office, we don't have that for home care yet. But I would definitely point out that because of uh, this, you know, a trial which everyone did due to pandemic, uh, there is a lot of investment in technology and people are thinking about it that, hey, you know what, this is not the future, this probably is the present. So let's start working and building technology around it. So that's right. the bright side of you know whatever happened. So what applications are telemedicine ready, telehealth ready in terms of eye care, do you think? So uh, when you're talking about, so there are two segments of telemedicine that I would want to kind of, you know, differentiate. One is complete home care where the patient can do everything at home. So there are definitely few apps which they can download uh, free of cost and they can do like vision testing, they can do refraction, they can do uh, visions, uh, color vision, contrast, you know, those kind of stuff. But that again, the accuracy level that what you would want is not right there. So they are. Uh, there have been a lot of studies that are done. These apps can a good screening tool, but they are not uh, as accurate as it would be in a controlled environment in your office. Mm -hmm. Now, for talking about say glaucoma screening or eye pressures, there are you know tonometer that can be sent out to the patient. So those things can be done. But beyond that, 
there is not much that you can do. You can do a little bit of uh, vision therapy remotely now because there are softwares where you can train the patients mm-hmm. and a little bit of refraction with sending them attachment that you know sticks on a phone and you can do refraction. So that's pretty much the scope of the practice at this point. Uh, if you want any advanced screening or diagnostic, that's not possible. Uh, but there's another side of it where you can do telehealth, which can be controlled remotely by a practitioner. And the patient can go to a location and you know get that testing done without an, a practitioner being there live in that, uh, in that location. So that is another piece of teleoptometry or telehealth that is also taking you know, a lot of interest where you can have a remote location where no doctor or there are limited practitioners but you have equipments which can be controlled remotely. So the Mm -hmm. patient still has to go to a location. It's not completely done from home, but they don't have to drive, say, two hours. You can set up like two equipments which are doing like detailed uh, diagnostics and stuff, but they are like 10 minutes from the patient's house versus, you know, two hours drive. And you're still controlling remotely. You're still talking to the patient. You're getting more detailed uh, evaluation done from the equipments. So those things are coming up. But something which is completely remote or completely from home, uh, well, a lot of development needs to be done in that space. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you say hybrid. I mean, that's yeah. that's. Um, do you think that? And and I guess how do you keep hybrid? How do you keep telemedicine as an option on people's minds? You know, I feel I feel it's uh, now keeping it, uh, when you're talking about people's mind, keep giving telehealth as an option for patient patients in general, I feel has become a, a new norm for them, thanks to pandemic, I would say, that like whether it is, you know, even showing their pets, even like pets are seeing their dogs or cats yeah. through telemedicine or, you know, for even general health. So it's not just eye or uh, vision care, which has moved into that space. The overall healthcare has moved into telehealth as an option. So from patient adoption or patient interest, if you give them an option that, hey, you know what, I can start your first screening at home, then I can decide how urgent it is for you to come in the office, then I can schedule an appointment, I can see if I can do some training remotely so you don't have to come in, we can reduce the chair time and, you know, still we are not completely out of it. So we want to minimize that in-person interaction. I think if you give that option right there, patient would definitely opt for it. So it's just deciding which conditions in eye care can be done remotely versus which definitely requires an in-person eye exam and you call them. Right, right. And uh, as you mentioned, of course, patients love it. And no, mm-hmm. you know, in many in many cases, because that difference between a two-hour drive or a 10-minute drive is enormous. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, like, telemedicine is not something which is new. I mean, the first idea of telemedicine or telehealth was established or introduced in 1925. So huh. it's been there, like, forever. Yeah. It's just that the technology evolved. And initially, it was thought it is only for remote people where there is no access, you know, where we need satellites and things. But we didn't think of, you know, people currently live very active lifestyle. Like imagine yourself or even me, you know, for us to schedule an appointment with a doctor in between our work hours is a challenge. If I can get something done at home just to, you know, start my consultation, why wouldn't I choose that? I would be like, okay, yeah, perfect. You know, uh, to help me decide, do I really, really need to go in and, you know, take a day off or take a half day? So with everyone's busy 
lifestyle, I feel this is an option for everyone, not just someone who don't have access to healthcare or vision care. So how is the uh, U.S. Um, acceptance, it, it, well, I guess more appropriately, how, how is the acceptance in, in India, for example, or other places in the country, in the world? So I would say everyone have, as much as I know, like, because I do talk to like people uh, across the globe, at least I can say a couple of countries, like say US, UK, Canada, India, if I'm just talking about those four countries, because that's where I have limited knowledge and awareness about. Uh, in US, Canada, I think it's a lot more uh, accepted because mm -hmm. one, people are more tech savvy. And plus the insurance, even though, uh, you know, that system is still trying to like, you know, people are still trying to fix it and stuff. Uh, there is a lot more awareness of, you know, getting an eye exam done, the importance of eye exam. So those those things are already been in place. So I feel US, Canada, uh, I would say even UK, they feel that the acceptance is quite, quite better. In India, the challenge is even though India is trying to you know uh, in india they have started trying and experimenting it but technologically i felt they were far behind even compared to us like us uh, already had talks about telehealth where in mm -hmm. india it was just focused on rural rural parts of the country it was never thought of an option in like you know metro cities or, or something on those things. it was only for people who don't have access strictly so yes india did have that challenge but I think everyone uh, at this point I've seen like talks on telehealth in every every aspect of like every organization I am kind of associated with, whether it's Asia Pacific, whether it's Europe, whether it's US, whether it's Canada, there has been a topic of telemedicine in every conference that you come up with. So I'm sure <laughs> everybody is trying to kind of cope up, learn how can they implement for their demographics. And um Certainly, it, it has promise for for bringing uh, efficiency um, in into the system in in some ways too. Especially if if the uh, if the payment part of the puzzle can be can be resolved. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a that's a big one. So, is is telehealth one of the topics that you talk about and in um, with with your guests at Nerdy Optometrists? I mean, tell me a little bit about about the uh, about the podcast. So actually, the podcast has a very different focus than telehealth, to be honest. I do webinars on telehealth as a topic to kind of talk to students and practitioners. But Nerdy Optometrist actually started because I had a very challenging journey when I moved from India to US because my optometry license is not valid. I had to find my own way out to, you know, kind of get into the industry and what is an option if I don't opt in for a full OD uh, mm -hmm. Going back to school, Degree. right? Yeah, <laughs> going back to school for four years. Yeah. So that was something which, you know, I felt that uh, there are so many Indians who have settled abroad. And not just Indian, but I've seen many people have very different journey in optometry. Mm -hmm. First of all, I mean, the very, uh, the, the my, my most favorite question in my podcast is, how did you bump into the profession? Because it's not like you want, you're like born to be an optometrist, right? right. There are very few people who get it. So I just wanted to understand uh, the the journey, the experience, and get like more real life uh, experience for mm -hmm. anyone who is trying to explore things outside, say India, and outside the country. Like how, what is the reality? Because you can see everything on Google, but you can't really know the real experiences. 
So Nerdy Optometry started with an idea to explore people's real life journey. Mm -hmm. And then we went into like technology. Instead of telehealth, I did talk about the implementation of AI and machine learning because that's the extension of telehealth. Like we need mm -hmm. to think of how technology overall is going to impact uh, the healthcare industry, not just eye care or vision care. We talk about women empowerment. I've also talked about public health because that's again, you know, an, a neglected segment mm -hmm. and people have a lot of myths around it. So I'm trying to talk about topics which are not very, very clinical where you would have like 50 webinars going parallel. We want to talk about the fun side from people's experience. So that's what Nerdy Optometrist focuses on. So as you talk to these people are you are you surprised by their by their creativity or their innovation in sort of finding a, a career path that works for them yes i feel the couple of things which i feel very interesting is uh most of the people that i have interviewed uh have been like really successful in whatever they have achieved but their struggles have not been kind of highlighted everything like oh wow you know he's a founder or she's a scientist she's doing you know working with one site or working with uh, you know ibi those kind of an organization but what was the story behind it is something uh -huh. which nobody has asked about so what were the real life struggle what is their success mantra what advice they want they have to give to the future optometrist and i'm also trying to kind of collect something on things that are missing in the optometry curriculum, which right. I know has been said for like years, but I'm, I, I, when I did my MBA, I felt, oh my God, I wish, you know, so many things were taught in my optometry school, which I didn't, which I learned like during my MBA. So I'm like, is it just me who's feeling it or is there something mutual in the industry? So I tried to explore those side of it. And I've heard like very good feedback from uh, students mainly who feel that we didn't even know th these were the struggles or this is the reality right and these are the exams or these these are the this is the way how we should prepare for it so i think it was a very interesting uh, feedback that i get from the listeners yeah yeah right because we we don't know what what we yeah. don't know right <laughs> that's, that's always true, true. yeah yeah true. So you, you just mentioned AI as, as sort of an element of, of telehealth. Um, that's obviously rocketing forward. What, what are you seeing there? Uh, honestly, as much as we thought it is rocketing forward, there's a lot of action happening in that space as well. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you know, when you, I mean, if you ask anyone, I'm sure they'll say diabetic retinopathy and AI or machine learning has been like the topic for years now. And there are a couple of companies who have been able to, you know, develop artificial intelligence around doing diabetic retinopathy screening, hypertensive retinopathy screening, you know, helping doctors diagnose those kind of conditions. But with the use of telehealth, I feel that piece is also going to accelerate a lot. For the fact that now with technology, things are going to be documented, like every image is kind of, it's easier to process things which are already on, say, on a cloud-based thing versus you just have it in one machine. You don't know how to transfer it, how to read it, how to process it. Mm -hmm. So once you are part of uh, the telehealth, which is like the first step, once you have collected the data, you just have to run, say, more advancement into it. And in incorporating artificial intelligence, machine learning, as much as it sounds, that is going to take away our jobs. Uh, I feel that's that's uh, that's way too far ahead. It's definitely going to support us to do things better. So it's just something that I feel has a lot of potential to help uh, early diagnostics and help patients uh, with you know help doctors 
make better uh, treatment plans for the patients. But let's let's look at that for for a moment because I know that that's something that concerns people. You know the the idea mm-hmm. of of taking away the art, you know, and making it right. all science. So how <laughs> yes. how do we you know how, how, what what do you say to to people who who have that concern? So I feel uh, people had concerns even about telehealth to begin. Mm-hmm. So as much as we are scared of technology, the pace at which the world is moving in general, right, uh, it is going to come. I feel instead of running away from it, the idea would be how do I polish my skills in a way that I'm using that same technology for my advantage versus thinking it is uh, something that I'm scared of. Oh, my God, I don't want to think about it. Let me just focus on it, uh, focus on what I'm aware of. And that's it. Because I know like even schools and colleges like NECO or SEO, they are also planning to start implement or adding telehealth as part of their curriculum mm-hmm. or part mm-hmm. of their course for like, you know, one semester. So if schools and colleges are feeling that they have to teach telehealth, soon it's going to be AI and machine learning because there are already equipments doing those things. So of course it might be say 10 years or 15 years down the line, but things are happening already. There are machines doing it. So if, feel as we were all scared about telehealth, but we've accepted it. (laughs) Let's see how we can use it for our advantage and Mm -hmm. uh, build on it. Because as much as we want, as much as we feel technology is uh, taking over our jobs, there is a lot of flaws and there are a lot of black holes in the process, which uh, only a human intelligence can figure out, but not the machine. They'll just uh, spit out what has been fed to them, but we have the critical thinking mind, which I think we should uh, focus on. So I feel, though we are scared that everything will be taken over by robots and technology, <laughs> uh, in in that way, I feel you know we sh- we still have time. We can just focus just on our skills and try how we can always focus on the hybrid side of it versus thinking this or this. I feel right now it's all hybrid. Uktivora, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again on WL Voices. If you'd like to be a guest on the series, please send us an email at wovoicesonline at gmail.com, through our website at womeninoptometry.com, through Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.